0: My name is Bethany Amy. I will be reading today's scripture passage. You can follow along on page eight in your pew Bible or on the screen. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east." And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father, we we come to you now and we acknowledge your presence here with us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us this morning as we open your word, that you would show us Christ in such a clear way uh, that we can't resist him and that we can't resist but have our lives absolutely upended by his grace and what he calls us to. So we love you. Would you teach us in this time, we pray. Amen. One of the chief questions that I think all of us are trying to answer in life is this. What is my purpose. And when we ask that question, what is my purpose? I think really we are asking the question, how does my life lock into a reality that's larger than myself? Like how can I live my life and make sense of my life in a way that will mean something beyond my finite and limited scope of reference? And so often in our lives, in order to find that sense of purpose, we often look to our children or we look towards some sort of good work or to a particular self-care or like workout regimen or to our career or to political or social activism. And none of those things are bad by any means. In fact, they, they can all be really good things. But do they satisfy that hunger deep down for your life to have grand meaning and purpose. Maybe another question, are those things big enough? Are those things grand enough, adventurous enough even, we might say, to satisfy your desire deep down for your life to be a part of something grand? We as human beings are born adventurers in this way. And Genesis chapter 12 calls you into the greatest epic adventure story that has ever been written, God's purposes for this world. God calls you this morning to partner with him in his plan of bringing blessing to the world. So how do you fit into that plan? And how does your involvement in God's plan satisfy your deep desire for your life to count? Well, that's what we're gonna to try to answer this morning. And, and if you are, are one of the kids who's joining us this summer um, in, in church and you wanna draw a picture of something, uh, draw this morning um, on, on the back of that white sheet in the bulletin, a picture of Abraham setting out on a journey. Think of somebody who's about to start an epic journey and draw a picture of that. And as we look at this text this morning and and this call of God that comes to Abram, we're going to look at it simply with with two points in mind. So so first, we're going to look at the anatomy of God's call. And then we're going to look at what it means to answer God's call. Uh, So we're going to look at the anatomy of God's call. By that, we mean, like, what does it look like when the call of God comes to us? And then we're going to look at, second, answering God's call. What does it look like for us to respond. Now, all great adventure stories start with a call, right? Like the the protagonist who's content to live his or her ordinary life gets thrust into a situation larger than their life, and they have to decide how to respond. So think of when Gandalf comes to the Shire, either to Bilbo or to Frodo, depending on what story we're talking about. Or think about when Hagrid comes to that shack that Harry Potter is in to tell him that he is a wizard. Or or, or think about when when Luke uh, pulls that part off of R2-D2 and he hears the message of Leia asking for somebody to come and rescue her. So too, the biblical story here begins, or might we say, re-begins with a call. After the downward spiral of humanity into sin and violence and disunity and chaos in Genesis chapters 3 through 11, after Adam's sin, we meet this man, Abram, who by all accounts we can tell is just content to to live his ordinary life, and yet God comes to him and interrupts him. And if you remember from last week, God didn't pick the most impressive guy with the best resume to call into his grand story. He picks the guy whose family worships the moon and who is probably a little bit too old for an adventure. He's 75, we find out in verse four. And out of the chaos of the Tower of Babel, much like out of the chaos of the unformed world, God speaks to Abram and thrusts him into action. And this is what God says to Abram in chapter 12, verse one. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now this verse shows us that there are two components to God's call. uh, Two realities that when God gets a hold of your life, he calls you into. And if you have heard the call of God, if you're a Christian, these two realities should be true of your life. And they are sacrifice and risk. That's God's call, sacrifice and risk. So first, sacrifice. And this is what is what we see here in the first half of this verse. God calls Abram to go from three things: from country, kindred, and father's house. Now, I think most of us from Central PA intuitively grasp at least part of the sacrifice of this command, right? Those of us from central PA say, surely it can't be God calling if it means you're going to have to move more than 20 minutes away from your family, right? Like, surely that can't be God's voice. Uh, but but I, I think we really do miss how significant this, this call actually is and the sacrifice that it entails. So Abram was originally from the land of Ur, we read in chapter 11. But many Bible scholars believe that Abram receives this call from God after he had journeyed a little ways over to another city, excuse me, called Haran. But but either way, whether he was in Ur or Haran at this point, Ur and Haran were two of the three greatest centers of power in the ancient world. So think about this. It's like Abram's, the two places that Abram has lived in his whole life were New York City and Washington, D.C., two centers of power, places where people move to find purpose in their life, to be in the center of what's happening in the world, to know the powerful and prestigious. And yet Abraham, or God says to Abram, get out, go from these places. He then tells him to leave his kindred and his father's house. And as much as we might want to joke about how close close uh, families live here in central Pennsylvania, it was nothing compared to the ancient world. Ancient uh, patriarchal and tribal culture, like Abram lived in, w- was all centered around the father's house. In Hebrew, it was a term called the betav, like it literally just means house of your father. A- extended families were organized around the patriarch. And they lived in his house, contributed to the family's wealth, and they sought his protection from military, uh, in military situations where they needed protecting. The betav in, in the ancient world was like social security, national security, and your mom's home cooking all like morphed into one thing. That was what the betav was. And so when God says to Abram, leave your country, your kindred, and your father's house, he essentially is saying to Abram, leave everything comfortable, safe, and secure. God called Abram to leave all the structures of social advantage, comfort, and familiarity in his life. As that famous hymn says, to let goods and kindred go for the sake of God's greater purpose. God's call is always a call to sacrifice familiarity and comfort. The second part of God's call is risk. And we see this in the second half of chapter 12, verse 1. God says, Leave all of that comfort and security and go to a new land. Now, a new land. That sounds kind of nice. You know, the grass is always greener, right? A new land. Except what does the text actually say? Go to the land I will show you. Now, it's one thing to leave an old, stable, comfortable job if you know that you have just been offered your dream job. Like, you'll sell your house and move your family across the country if you know that you're going to have better pay. You're, you've had the chance to ask a ton of questions about the company and the position that you're taking. You've had a chance to look at the housing market, a- and it's your dream job. You will readily go to a new land for a new job like that if you know that what you're, you're going to is better than what you're leaving behind. But what if, in this situation, what if your potential new boss offered you the job by saying, hey, we'd love for you to sell your house and move here, and then we'll tell you a little bit about the position. (laughs) Like, then we'll tell you a little bit about what the compensation is and what the job responsibilities are and all of that. I think we would all be crazy to, to take that offer. But that's exactly what God is calling Abram to do here. It's that level of risk. God doesn't just call Abram to sacrifice his comfort and security in the present. He calls him to risk his future as well. One Bible commentator says it this way, the only thing that's made clear to Abram is that where he is now is not where he is to remain. And man, is that not like a proverb that describes the Christian life? That describes biblical faith. God calls Abram to take him at his word, to trust him even in the midst of what looks insane. You know, one elder meeting, um, probably like six months ago now, or maybe a little bit less than that, uh, we, we were discussing. This was we were discussing plans for Midtown Community Church, our, our church plant, and. One godly member of our church asked to have a portion in our elder meeting um, to talk with us at the church plant, about the church plant. And he, he was, he's one of the most humble and godly men that I know, and so he was incredibly generous and gracious. But if I could summarize the question that he asked us um, in a little bit balder language than he put it, this is how I would say it. What the heck is taking you guys so long? Like, just go plant a church already. And in the context, to put it in the context of this passage, like he was saying to us, you can't figure out the land that God's calling you to before you trust him and start going. And while God doesn't look down on our planning and preparation, I agree with my brother's concern. And his voice actually remained in the back of my head as we made the decision to move the launch date up for this church from January to October. Because faith involves trusting God's word enough to walk into the unknown, to the land that he will show us. Faith is always a step into something that we don't really know. And These two elements of God's call, the sacrifice and and risk, show us what happens when God initially calls any one of us. In fact, there are so many parallels between God's call of Abram and Jesus' call of his disciples in the Gospels. So if you would, I want us to see this together. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 4? And we'll start in verse 18 and read to verse 22 there. And as I read this for us and as you follow along, look for the similarities between The call of Abram and Jesus' call of his disciples. So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. How do you see the similarities there? In following Jesus, these men We're leaving their livelihoods, their families. Note the father is in the boat with them. Like that's a point to tell us that in this text. They're leaving their their very own identities and they're risking their future to follow this Jewish rabbi that they don't even know. And this, this shows us that when the call of God comes to us initially, it blows up all of our priorities for our life. Like, God's call absolutely wrecks what we think our life should look like. It upends it. And that's what happens. It's what happened with Abram. It's what happened to the disciples. It's what happens to each of us when God's call comes to us. But this call of God on our life doesn't stop after we begin the journey of faith and following after Jesus. The whole of the Christian life consists in us trying, or continuing, I'm sorry, to hear and obey God's call. Now, some of this language around calling, I have to be honest, like, as somebody that's been in the church for a long time, I struggle to get, not to get jaded with it. Um, because oftentimes, I don't really know what it means concretely. And so let let me, especially when we're not talking about it at the beginning of the Christian life. And so let me let me try to flesh this out for us as clear as I can. So as we continue in the Christian life, as we walk by faith in following Jesus, God continues to impress upon us the reality of who He is and His commands. And he presses those into our specific lives and circumstances by his spirit and through his word. That's what the calling of God looks like. It's seeing God and his clear commandments in his word and that matching up by his spirit with our circumstances, our personalities, and our life situations. So for instance, God may deeply impress upon you the Christian command to be radically generous to the poor. And by his spirit, you may start noticing as you, as you drive or as you walk in the city, a lot of homeless people. And your spirit might, might start to be drawn out in mercy towards those people. That's probably God's call on your life. Or God may deeply impress on you his command to bear one another's burdens, right? Galatians chapter 6, And as a single person in our church, you may start to perceive the distinct needs of single single people in our church community, And, and your heart might be drawn out towards your fellow single folks. That might be God's call on your life. Or God may deeply impress on you his command to make disciples of all nations, and he might start by his spirit to press upon you the state of your neighbors and fill you with a love with love for your neighborhood so that you end up planting a church. Hypothetically, that might be God's call on your life. These are examples of how God's original call of grace, which called us to sacrifice and risk for his sake, continue on into our lives, how God continues to speak to us and call us to obedience. But why do so many of us not heed the call of God on our lives? Why are we, why are we so slow to heed God's call on us? Well, as, as author James K. Smith puts it, he says, so many people try to decamp in that distant country. So they, like they, so they try to settle there permanently. That's what he means by decamp. Suppressing my sense that there must be something more, that another shore is calling. So much of our restlessness and disappointment is the result of trying to convince ourselves that we're already at home. In other words, to put it in the context of this passage, we struggle to obey God's call on our life because we convince ourselves that our country and our kindred and our father's house are our true home. We convince ourselves that we are not actually in the midst of an an epic journey, but that we are already at the conclusion of our quest. And so we would rather remain in a place of comfort rather than self-sacrifice and a place of control rather than risk. And some of us can't bear the thought of what it would mean to reorient power and money and success and an overall predictable routine and clean life underneath the call of God in our lives. Because we're, we're so busy trying to manage our life, to maintain comfort and control, to, to settle in this country rather than to take up the journey of obedience and sacrifice and risk. And I think this is why many people throughout history have wrestled with God for a long time before coming to faith in Jesus. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you understand clearly the sacrifice and risk that is involved in following Jesus. I mean, that's what happened with Jonah. That's why Jonah ran away from God. Because Jonah knew When God's call came to him, it meant that he was going to have to sacrifice and risk to go to his enemies and love them and bring them a message of God's love. And maybe this is why you haven't responded to God's call yet. You know what Jesus demands of you, and you are wrestling him over this. You know following Jesus will require you to leave your independence your self-defined identity behind. You know that following Jesus will wreck your priorities for your own life. And so you're hesitant. And and pastorally, let me just make one comment here to, to those of us in this room, particularly who are Christians. I fear that in our current age, we don't talk like this enough about what it means to follow Jesus. We live in a day dominated by ideas and terminology like self-care and margin and boundaries. And those are terms that I use often in my own life that I found really helpful for me and that I often use in counseling other people. And we need healthy boundaries and we need self-care so that we can actually like, serve Jesus for the long haul and not flame out or fall into sin in five years. We need those things. But we have to maintain a category for sacrificial, risk-taking, faith-filled obedience as a marker of what it means to be a Christian. I think so many of us are so caught up in our own pursuits and careers and families and interests that we have no space to actually think and pray and try to discern where God might be calling us to sacrifice and risk for the sake of his grander purposes. We need risk takers for the kingdom of God. People who count the cost and spend their lives for God's glory. That's not an anomaly. That's what it means to be a Christian. We need people so committed to obeying the commands of God that they're willing to obey even when things are unclear and unsure, maybe even unwise by worldly standards, maybe even a bit reckless. And it comes down to this simple thing. Like, God doesn't call us to safety. God calls us to purpose and adventure That's better than safety. Like, I'm only going to last for so long. Like, if I get to 80, I will be pumped. That's not that long. God calls us to something for our lives to matter here and for our lives to matter through sacrifice and risky obedience. But the question we have to ask then is because we know ourselves, right? Right? How can we actually respond to God's call like this? How can we pursue sacrifice and risk, this this type of faith-filled obedience? How do we actually do that? And I mean, think about this. like Abram doesn't even know who God is at this point. I think we forget that in reading the narrative, but this is the first time that Abram meets God. God comes to him out of the blue and says, hey, go leave your family and your country and come follow me. I mean, like, so Wit and I, my wife and I, were in D.C. a few weeks ago, and I navigated the whole time we were there. And this is typically a role I take on, on trips because I'm pretty good at navigating, and Wit never knows where she is. And so, <laughs> um, but while we were there, we got in a few tiffs because she, like, didn't fully trust me of, like, that I knew where I was going, sometimes rightly so, um, uh, but but like she's somebody that I've shared 10 years of life and vacations with, that, that we've played these roles together time and again. Like she knows how this works and that we usually get where we are supposed to go, and yet she didn't fully trust me. Abram didn't even know God. And God comes to him and gives him a call and a command like this. How is he supposed to trust God enough to step out and obey this call? Where does he get that kind of faith? You know, Pastor Benjamin is gonna talk next week more about verses two and three of chapter 12. But, but we're gonna go there for just a second because what Abram needed in order to step out in obedience like this is that he needed to see how his obedience, his sacrifice and risk fit into God's larger plan. He needed to understand the purpose of his obedience in light of God's promise for the world. So would you look with me at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 12? Let's read these again. Is God continuing on to talk to Abram. He says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is a staggering promise. And that promise forms the backbone for God's salvation plan throughout the rest of the Bible. But but for this morning, I just want us to notice one thing about those, those verses. God gives Abram a larger purpose for his obedience. God says to Abram, I know this looks crazy. I know what I'm calling you to looks insane but your obedience will be the vehicle through which I will bless all the nations. And church, as the people of Jesus, the same is true of you and I. God uses the sacrificial, risky obedience of his church to bless the world. God uses, or God calls us his people, to be the means of his blessing spreading out into every nook and cranny of this globe. That is our calling and task as a church. Church, your costly obedience serves a greater purpose, serves this greater purpose. Then finally, verse four, look at how Abram then, when he hears how his obedience fits into God's purpose and plan, look at how he responds. Verse four, so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. You've got to love the simplicity of this text. It's like God calls, and, and so Abram went, right? Period. He obeys. Just like our lives, right? That's exactly how it works out in our lives. In just a few verses at the end of chapter 12, we'll see Abram, Abram's first of several lapses of faith. He really is just an ordinary guy like us. And we very quickly see that Abram, even though he's called into God's grand story and epic, Abram is no hero. It doesn't remain this simple in his life for that long. But in Abram's very stark, very quick obedience here in verse 4, we get a glimpse of the true hero of this epic story of God's salvation in history, the one who perfectly responds to God's call. You see, church, Jesus heard the call of God. Jesus left his country and his father's house to go to the land that his father would show him. Jesus left his power and position to walk this earth as a man, hearing and obeying the call of God every step of his life. And he sacrificed at every point all the way to going to a cross to die for us. And as he went into, onto the cross and into the grave, he risked everything, humanly speaking, on God's promise that blessing would come through his obedient sacrifice. And we know that it did. Because three days later, God's promises came true. Jesus broke forth from the grave and his blessings now flow abundantly through his, to his people and through his people to this world. God's blessing comes through obedience, the obedience of his one obedient son. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter five, verses eight and nine. It says, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Imagine that, God Almighty. It's saying this about God. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Do you want purpose in your life? Do you want your acts of faith in obedience to lead to God's blessing flowing through you to the world? then church, look to Jesus. Look to the hero who obeyed God's call perfectly so that we might walk by faith. He gave up everything, comfort and glory for you. And as you look to him, may your heart swell in love and may you be empowered by his spirit to press on in faith-filled obedience, in sacrificial, risky obedience for the sake of God and his gospel. And church, through our spirit-empowered obedience, God will bring his blessing to this whole world. That is the purpose of your life. That's where this world is going, and that is how you fit into that. You were made to leave country, kindred, and your father's house and press forward by faith to a city with foundations following after the true obedient son, Jesus Christ. And so church, be risky. Like what God is calling you to in your life, you have no idea what your obedience could end up doing and working in the lives of the people of this city and this world. So don't hold back. Sacrifice for Jesus, risk for Jesus, because he did that for you, and you have no idea the ways in which he might unleash the fountain of his blessing through your simple, faith-filled acts of obedience into the unknown. Let me pray for us. And so, Father, we pray that you would use your word to call each of us in our own lives and situations and circumstances to do your purposes, to obey you in our own lives. Father, I pray that through this church, you would motivate us by your sacrifice for us, that we would see your love for us and that we would be motivated to sacrifice and risk big things to obey your call so that people might come to know the name of Jesus and so that the nations would be blessed. Lord, use this church to bless the people of Harrisburg through our obedience. Press that reality upon us, Holy Spirit, so that we can't avoid it. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that in all of this, you would receive glory as the perfect son the one who obeyed on our behalf, who left everything for our sake. Help us to look to you as the hero of our life story in this world. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.